Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. And welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Paula Price Show with the one and only Dr. Paula Price. There is only one. And what would we do with more than one? Well, you know what? We're going to try and become one <laughs> and find out. <laughs> So, replication, replication, multiplication is the Jesus Christ way. And that's what we are here to do. I want to make sure that you know how to find us when we're not broadcasting by going to www.drpaulaaprice.com. That's what we call our home base. That is the cerebral of uh, the network of everything Dr. Price from there, if you want to take an assessment, there's a button to take an assessment. If you want to sow a seed, there is a link to sow a seed. If you want to find out about Price University, you can either go to priceuniversity.org or www.drpaulaaprice.com. How about events or products? You know she sells a whole lot of things, and you know you need them. So go to her website, scroll down to about the middle of the page, and there's an option to shop for products, and that's where you want to go to shop your heart out. Do you have problems in life and you need some prophetic counsel, coaching, direction, and guidance? We offer that too. But wait, there's more. Do you need an assessment? Do you need to find out where you are? How about this, who you are? Who am I? Who am I to God? Who am I? And where should I be in this world? You guessed it. You can go to www.drpaulaaprice.com. I'm trying to think. Is there something that isn't there? Okay. Are you looking for a church? We have a church in Tulsa. Yes. We have a church in Tulsa, the Congregation of the Mighty. You can go to www.comehomeembassy.com and find out more about our church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Bixby, Oklahoma. Bixby, we are in Bixby, Oklahoma. Although almost none of us are from Oklahoma, this is where our ministry is. <laughs> this is where we have been reassigned by the Holy Spirit to be uh, for this calling in the, the hub of so much going on here. And so we are blessed and excited for what God is doing and want to let you know that Dr. Price is going to bring a powerful word today. I don't even know what you're going to say. <laughs> huh? Mentor? You're a mentor? You offer, you're teaching on mentorship? Oh, she's teaching on mentorship, Jesus. Bless God and hallelujah. <laughs> she's going to teach us today. I don't even know uh, what's happening here on the Paula Price Show today. But it's going to be powerful. It's going to be great. And God is moving in ways that we don't even know yet, but we know it's going to be powerful. Because anytime Dr. Bryce opens her mouth, we all just kind of hang on for dear life. And say, bless the Lord. We don't know where our apostle is taking us today, but we know that she is taking us somewhere that is going to land us in the spirit of truth. Um, deliverance is definitely happening. Correcting some mistakes. If she's talking about mentors, that means she's going to tell us how to fix it with the people that we have messed over 
thinking we were right. <laughs> ah, Selah. 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 If you want to hear more from our ministry, Wednesday night, Chief Prophet Tala Price has Wednesday Warriors. She broadcasts on social media, and you can find her information on Facebook and Periscope. <laughs> Tala Price, T-A-L-A, Price, P-R-I-C-E, not Bryce, but Price as in the Price is right, like Dr. Price, because she is her daughter. Ah, yes, and then, well, somebody needs to know why. And then Friday night at midnight, I have in the midnight hour. Do you need prayer? Do you need prayer? Friday, let me see, this is still December, right? December's theme is financial breakthrough. So every Friday, I have been praying for your finances. Do you need your money to break through, your job to break through, your economy in general, your wealth, because wealth is more than a dollar bill. So we're praying for your wealth. Friday at midnight, Central Standard Time. You can also find me on Facebook, Ashley Claytor. And then Saturday, Prophet Adia Peterson has Saturday Morning Kids on YouTube. And I tell you what, more than kids, watch Saturday Morning Kids. (laughs) A lot of adults watch Saturday Morning Kids and get their devos for the children for themselves because we have a very – I would say advanced compared to what is out there program for our children. Prophet Adia takes what Dr. Price is teaching and breaks it down for the children. And so we are all learning the same things at our respective levels. And that is juicy. And then we have more things rolling out at the top of the year because new era apostleship restitution this is like an infomercial this is great this is like an infomercial here new era apostleship restitution which is dr price's collaborative entity (laughs) it is alive we collaborate with ministers and ministries all over the country now all over the world and so as a part of the collaborative what we want to make sure for you is that you are connected with ministers and ministries of all types that are in God, believing in Jesus Christ, as he is written in the Word. That's a shame. We have to, yes, believing in the Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, firstborn of everything. And that man is the firstborn. Yeah. That's why they can't get around him. No matter what they try, they just can't get around him. He is the firstborn. Yes, he is. First begotten. First just said first begotten. So before I begot anything and birthed it, so he first begot. Begot, begot, the begot that we like to skip over. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm ready. If you're ready to start plugging me up, I'm going to we'll plug you up. I am excited about today. Now, I'm excited about today because God said he gave us a new word. He said he's going to do a, a tear build. Oh, wait, hold on. Don't even say it. we got to get on the camera. Hold on. Okay. So we're not. Okay. Yeah. Norma, plug up the thing. Because we want to make sure you're Norma, plug up the, the thing. The monitor. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, she, she's telling me. She put me on pause, guys. Can you believe she put me on pause, block talk? Pause. She said, we cannot do anything till we get all the cameras and everything, and the other things, and, and because today, oh, I can't say anything, because I can't even tell you what today is. That's right, because uh, I'm not supposed to go to you. Yeah, okay, they, so we're going live. We're going L-I-V-E, L-I-V-E, live. <laughs> <laughs> I am excited. I can't even tell you. 
how excited I am. All right. Tell YouTube how excited you are. Okay, YouTube. Welcome, YouTube. Now, I was giving an introduction, and Apostle Ashley Clayton told me I had to wait until you all were live so that everybody can hear it at once. So I am thrilled. And when I say thrilled, I am thrilled about what God is going doing. I was working, getting ready today, and as I was coming in, I, you know, the Holy Ghost just started talking to me about mentorship. That means when he brings out something like that, he is about to move in a particular sphere of his service. So today we're talking about mentorship. And I have a lot of, um, quite a few. Oh, okay, let's try. You might need to go pull out and go back into presentation mode one more time. Okay, because it's like I'm not doing it. Just out of presentation mode and back in. Oh, okay. We're trying it again. And we're doing it again. There we go. There we go. Do you see that wonderful screen? Now, make sure you tell everybody, if you are a mentor, mother, father, in the spirit, or any other names that we call the function, tell everyone, sign on, sign on, and sign on, and share. You're about to get a complimentary mentorship class. We don't do it a lot, but you're going to get one today. One of the things that I wholeheartedly believe in is mentorship, and I believe in it for two reasons. Number one, um, people who are mentored tend to succeed better in God's service or any service than those who are moving by instinct, because you're either going to be mentored or you're going to be intuitive. Oh, that's good. Sorry, it came out. And so... My first thought about mentorship is that intuition has its place, but it, it still needs to make sense to others, and it still needs to produce a logical project. Why do we make log logical such a big thing? Because people either behave erratically or logically. And erratically is going to be your intuition, and so you'll have a hit or miss su of success. Today I'm successful. Well, I'm right on it because your intuition is up. Maybe you have less stress. Maybe you have less uh, distractions in your life, or you just might be enthused about something. So you'll go and you'll do it by your instinct, by your gut, and then get a good result and think you're ready. That is incidental success. See, success comes incidentally in an event, and it comes uh, substantially, which would mean it's, it's, it's taking on bodies, taking on substance, and then success comes um, perpetually or consistently. When you, no matter how often you do it, you win more than lose, you excel more than you uh, fail, those kinds of things. So you must give some thought to how your success is going to go and what you're measuring as success. I'm having a blast already, I've got to tell you. So I'm driving in today, and the Holy Spirit says to me, um, I, you know, I always tell Jesus, come on, Jesus, let's go. And so he said to me, he said, I'm going to tear down some things, and I'm going to build up some things. Oh. Well, everybody knows that's not too new with me. That's not a novel statement. But I came up with the word called tear build. So we're going to tear build the mentorship institution and process today. Tear build, T-E-A-R-B-U-I-L-D. We're going to tear build. I mean, we're going to tear it down first, and then we're going to build it up again correctly. Throughout my life, 
God has used that procedure to get me ready for his service. He just tears stuff up. And I would want to blame everybody, you know, good as I've been to God and as, as devoted as I've been and as sincere and genuine as I meant to be. And God said, all of those are nice. You know, emotions are great, but emotions must turn into establishments. And what you establish really defines the, ben, uh, the bedrock or underlying root of your emotions or sentiments. So what you establish literally reflects your sentiments on the thing or subject that you're addressing. So I'm having a blast. I'm, I'm God and I, we're just having a blast. I'm, you know, I mean, I would, I would pour my heart into things. Some of you all know this, haven't lived this. I would pour my heart into things. I mean, literally pour my heart in. I'm up three days, seven days, whatever, gave it my best. And I learned something from the Lord. Your best is not the standard for the best if you've not followed a standard or a model. And so many times I would have these flops and I'd be all embarrassed and whatnot in my early, early days in ministry, and I would get, I would get mad at God, you know? Like Jonah got mad at him about the, the stalk, you know? Jonah got mad at God because he, gave, uh, he went and did what God told him to do, and he gave a prophecy, and God did what he obviously was accustomed to doing, and he reverted or resorted to mercy. And so he didn't fulfill Jonah's word. And Jonah get upset. And he was upset, he said, because I told you, I knew as soon as I got my, credit, my, my effort out there, my reputation out there, et cetera, you were going to change your mind and not destroy the land. So Jonah doesn't understand that God is not dealing with destruction. It is not God's best. His ideal is not to destroy what he's made. Like, it wouldn't be our ideal to destroy what we made. So Jonah's pouting. You know, nightfall comes, he goes to sleep. While he's asleep, God grows this stalk up, this bush or whatever it was. And Jonah wakes up in the morning, he's covered. I mean, I got cool, I got shade, because he's out there. He's having a temper tantrum, and he really wants to die. He's, you know, he's been on this death thing for a little bit, so he really wants to die. He wants the heat of the desert to destroy him so that he doesn't have to be embarrassed or it doesn't go into the media that he gave a word that failed, and God decided to reverse his position on something because of repentance. God's lesson was that when you repent, you can move me into a whole other different direction. And so, um, so Jonah wakes up, and then he's he he got this shade, and then all of a sudden, goes, God burns the thing up. It's destroyed. And Jonah has all of this compassion for this. Now, listen, this is like our, our um, what do you call them, those uh, rights people, he got all of this compassion for the stalk that came up in the night, died in the day. He is bemoaning it, whether he's bemoaning it because it's, he no longer has a shade or covering or whatever. And God said, but do you see how you feel sorry for that stalk that came up in the day, died in the day, and you don't care about the hundreds of thousands of people I just spared because of my mercy? So sometimes we do that with our project. We get so caught up in the letter we typed, the book we wrote, you know, and um, what do you call it, the, uh, the projects we finish and, and all of the things, the buildings we build, you know, like they did with Jesus. See, Lord, isn't this a wonderful temple? And Jesus is like so unimpressed because Jesus' thing is people. Everything about the Lord Jesus Christ is his people, his creaturehood. And so they're excited, and he said, 
I'm going to tell you, it happened in three days. Well, God, there's so much subtlety in that, I won't even get off on that rabbit trail. But the point that I'm saying is that many times you think you gave God your best, and some of you are sitting like Jonah under in the desert, all hot, beaten by the elements because you gave God your best as you perceived it, and he did not bless it. Like Cain, I brought you these. Are you kidding? You know how hard I had to work to get you this fruit? these fruits and vegetables, and you're going to tell me that they're not acceptable? But sometimes you need to recognize that what you perceive as best will not meet the standard for endurance, usability, uh, you know, um, stability, and then perpetuation. Those are the things you don't know. The church today does not like standards. At least, well, much of it now. That's why we've destroyed all of the standards. We've destroyed all of the landmarks. We've destroyed the boundaries. We've taken away titles. We've taken away position description. We've taken away uh, appearance, dignity, all of the things that got us to where we were before we got tired of them. Isn't that something? So the, the, the generation who doesn't know why we do what we do decides they don't like it, so it becomes personified. If they happen to be a strong personality, then they're going to go and win converts to their side. They're going to disciple their dissatisfaction. The church right now is the product of dissatisfied discipleship or dissatisfaction discipleship. What we're looking at right now began with somebody's dissatisfaction. They, they felt imposed upon. They felt that their rights were being trampled under, they felt like their individuality ought to take precedence over institutionality. And so today, when we were doing that, that was great because anything novel literally sparks human beings. It doesn't have to be novel, good or bad. They don't even care about that. They just say new. And so here we are today, generations of dissatisfaction replicants, who are creating a standard that can't stand. You know, when you want to see standards, think about the Lord Jesus' parable of the sand. He who built his house on the rock withstood. Standard withstood. The rock became the standard. And then he who built his home on the sand, you know, party people, the liberty people, the let me do it my way people, when the storms came, it sunk. So we got standards and sand. Sinking sand. But let's just say sand. So when you want to say, well, where is it in the Bible that Jesus talked about standards? He talked about standards all the time. You just did because your mind was blind to it, your eyes were closed. Think about when you get from one teacher to another teacher. When you're with the teacher you're familiar with, you can allow your mind to go blind and your eyes to be closed and your ears to be deaf because you think you know. You think you've taken so much of that in that you don't need any more. But when you get to someone else who is addressing that subject or maybe building on that, some novelty awakens you. That's why God has to keep doing new things because we keep falling asleep. But novelty awakens you. And when it awakens you, all of a sudden, you're, you're first curious, then interested, and then impressed, or maybe 
impressed and then interested. So when you get interested, then you move into motivation. It's at that point you decide whether you're going to be good at it or you're just going to be busy. Because when you want to be good at something, you don't dive in. You search it out, research it, learn it, practice, and then perfect it. When you want to be busy, you jump in while you're enthusiastic. And so enthusiasm becomes your motivation. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when you're no longer enthusiastic, you're done. That's how come Christians quit so many things, people in general, but I'm talking to the people of God to death. So as a Christian, you can jump in, and I'm telling you, you'll give it your best. You'll be there early. You'll stay late, and you'll do what you uh, see done. So you become an emulator of the standard or emulator of what you think is good. You will also impose private interpretations and opinions on it, and maybe a few peeves, because you'll start saying, yeah, well, I, don't, no, I never like doing that or not. Well, I'm, we don't need that, but I can get it done. I mean, the, the famous just bottom line thing today, which might have been great way back in time when someone coined it because they were dealing with people who just went on and on, or maybe they just wanted to hurry up and get a profit. But today, that particular statement kills excellence. Killed knowledge. People are terrified to tell their boss the pitfalls because you got that bottom line mentality. So the person is terrified when the pitfall comes, they get fired. But you never listened because you wanted to get to the bottom line, which means standards, protocols, threats, risks, etc. You dismiss them all because I want to get right to where I can get to the bank. And a lot of bosses today. I like that. It doesn't take all of that. Just give me, the, give me the cliff notes. Give me the short story. Give me the short version. But, you know, short has never met the, the, the safety and security of long. So you don't want to hear the whole story, which means, why am I saying this like this? Because that means when you allow yourself to hear the whole story, you can mentor the person that you have assigned to bring you that story or to bring you that report or to bring you that news. You have people in your life terrified because the heart of a mentor will do, the first thing a heart of a, a mentor will do is make sure that the mentee is not so terrified of them that they can't be trained or transformed. Now, I have seen far too often Christian mentors who are bullies. If you are a bully, you're not a mentor. You're a batterer. You're a traumatizer. Let's give you the right name. Because, see, if I give you the right name, maybe you'll reevaluate yourself, reassess yourself, and say, well, I'm not trying to batter anybody. You know, a lot of mentors are abusers. A lot of mentors are exploiters. So you have to know for yourself going into a mentorship arrangement who you're being mentored by. You need to know that person's track record. Do you want to put yourself through that kind of abuse. I mean, if you were going to be in the military, if you were going to be Secret Service or something like that, if you were going to be a, a security person, yeah, well, you probably need that because you need to be able to not um, be not back down from the criminal element or the people who jeopardize you. So, yeah, but if we're talking about building people, if we're talking about building a work, developing people, the last thing they need is bullying. And you need to ask, ask yourself why that is the way for you. Like, why do you think people ought to be terrified into excellence? 
scared to make a mistake, scared to answer a question, because you, they don't know what kind of flare-up you're going to be. You might be, the, you know, the Monday flare and the Wednesday cool-down, but they cannot count on you. And people will not grow without consistency. You must be consistent if you're developing people, if you're developing anything. But this point is about people. Inconsistency confuses people. Today they can, they can count on you to do so-and-so. Tomorrow they can't. Today you tell them what to do off the cuff. Tomorrow you tell them, you yell at them for not doing it. You must be consistency, and consistency requires standards. So you must be consistent. And most mentors are not consistent because they're too emotional. They're running on that intuitive thing. You know, this is what I feel. And the church has promoted that because what is it that said? Well, you got to go, go from your gut. Go from your heart. Don't let your head get involved. And yet, everything in the Bible came from people's heads. God taught Moses. He taught him. He said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get these laws, and you're going to write them down. The second thing you better be good at doing as a mentor is writing everything you want down. Because how pe- what you write is what you read, and reading is how people heed. See, because they can hear you, and they'll do it once, but there's nothing in your sound that says this is perpetual, this is to be continual, this is routine. You have to be consistent, and you have to have a record. Write the vision. It didn't say speak it, prophesy it, or say it. It said write the vision. Because writing is the only way you can have consistency. We have the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments today, because Moses had them written down. Now, he got them from God chiseling them. But even God wrote, which tells me writing must figure very prominently in God's realm. So he writes these Ten Commandments. He gets them down to the people. And the first thing he does is commits them to the scrolls. Because there are so many things that can vary people's memories. There are way too many things that can vary and confuse the issue. But once you keep reading it over and over again, it's committed to your memory. And that memory, literally, that memory uh, fuels consistency because it has a sense of permanence. So some of you as mentors, you mentor terribly because you talk too much, write too little, and your people are always confused or they're always falling out. I don't know. Did you tell me that? Yeah, I told you when we were going in the elevator. Yeah, but see, that's not the time to instruct a mentee. That's the time to remind them that you wrote it. Yeah, well, I told you when we were in the ladies' room, when we were in the men's room, when we were at the restaurant, well, you, you, you realize that if you're going to mentor somebody at the restaurant, you better bring paper because you're competing with food and appetite. See, these are things that you don't know. You think it's because you didn't give enough hours or because the mentee was weak. You, you know, every mentee is a flaw. Some mentors are flawed. They don't want to read. They don't like to write. They don't have time to write a memo. They don't have time to send an email. They don't have time. You, even if you send a text, if a person gets 15 texts in a day, your text could get lost. But what if you had a document? 
and I'm big on documents. My people have to write everything. And when they don't, I just watch them and watch failure after failure because you assume that people have no, no one else to give their ear to in a day but you. They have a lot of things pulling on their ear and their attention. So we're going to talk. I just gave you a little bit of a, a, a prelude to what's going to come, that you would understand that if you're going to mentor, then you need to be about the mentee and not just about your superiority. It sounds good to say I've got 400 people under me. That sounds very great, but if you're, if you're not a university, you got 400 flops. I'll say you have 395 flops because only the five closest to you really get what you're doing, really understand what you're doing, have takeaways. Everybody else is hearsay, 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 hearsay. My prayer is that the church stops being, being enamored with numbers, quantity, and start challenging people on their quality. You have how many people under you? 400. How many people are like you? Five, ten. See, because mentorship is not about who's under you. It's about who's like you, who replicates you, who can do this the way you do it so that if you're taken off the planet tomorrow, everything you've done goes on. Now, you know that's good. I'm going to slap something because I think it's good. Yes. I'm going to slap it again. Yes. Got a bell. <laughs> so when I mentor, I, I assume that the mentee may be the most brilliant person in the world, but they don't know what I know. Otherwise, why am I mentoring you? Because you don't need me. So if you look at your screen, it ta- it's the, this is part of a webinar I give under my Soul of Success series. And it says the mentoring mentor, which I've written a book on it. I'm getting ready to uh, revise it, update it for the mentorship program that I'm starting. So we're going to talk about coaching and mentoring, which relies on learning and leading. See, coaching and mentoring rely on learning and leading. See, a lot of people, you really don't, don't expect your mentees to learn. You expect them to imitate Imitate you. But see, you know, Paul uses the phrase, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ or whatever. I want to tell you something. Christ did not pick an unlearned person to imitate him. He picked what he felt was most comparable to the goals and objectives that he had for his kingdom on earth and its leaders. So Christ was not about just picking any old body off the street. Okay, well, you're cute. Well, you got a testimony. You've got a witness. No, no. True mentors pick people who can succeed, people that they can lead and who can take the lead when they need it without distorting or perverting their foundation. Picking a – you realize that people don't let you go into the, the second year of college just because you feel like you got it. They test you to see that you can succeed because this is not about setting people up to fail. It's not about self, setting people up to be traumatized and broken. This is about literally getting people ready to be you when you can't be there, T-H-E-R-E. Okay? So I'm going to say this again. 
Mentorship is about getting people ready to be you when you can't be there. So you can't be on their job, but what you possess, what you can pass on, should be in their workplace. So mentorship is not about racking up numbers. As a matter of fact, if you've got a whole lot of mentors or rather mentees, you have a lot of people who are getting ignored, and you should evaluate that. You have a, a, a lot of people who are getting ignored, and as a result, are mumbling about you, about you, but they're complaining, they're criticizing, they're restless, they're irritating, and you don't know it. And you know why you don't know it? Because you're not handling them. And because you're not handling them, you're not assessing them. Is this helpful to you all? So mentorship is about that. Now, I am huge on acronyms. I want to say that to you now so that all of my super intelligent people will not complain as if I don't know. I am huge on acronyms. Now, the reason I'm huge on acronyms is this. What I am presenting is largely unknown or very limited in the body of Christ. And because of that, I've got to do give information that established and well, widely known leaders and teachers have been saying for years. I don't have that. I have to start with A is for Apple. And one is for beginning. See, so I have to go A, one, Apple, one, B, and we go up. B is for ball, so we got to get rolling. See, because you, I'm using terminology that you're unaccustomed to. I'm using concepts that we have long, long ago thrown away in the church. We, I'm using realities and technologies and, and things like that. So in order to expedite the process, I use acronyms. Because acronyms gives you a body of knowledge in a string of terms. And I'm big on terminology because I feel like if you can't name it, if you can't uh, express it, how are you going to perform it? So I, we, damn, all my classes begin with terminology, voca- vocabulary and vernacular, definitions. We have to have it. So if you're a mentor and you don't have regular uh, sessions with your mentees, then you're not mentoring. You realize that. You have, to, you have to be with your people. They have to somehow or another connect with you. And my team will tell you that in their early days, I was with them all the time because people need that anointing. You know, it's wonderful. And they'll tell us every year at our events, it is great to take our online classes Ah. Wonderful. The information they say is wonderful. And God, the Holy Ghost, he, he, you know, he makes it make sense to them. He builds on the teaching. But when they come to our events or they happen to be able to sit in one of our classes, the, they understand being present is very different. And the presence means that you get my, my not only my anointer, but what, what I'm exuding, you know? And so... Um, how do I say it? You know, the Bible says that you have endowments and then you have endowments. And so many times you don't get my endowment even though you get the benefit of my endowments. But in the present, all of a sudden, you realize that I radiate a light, and that radiation is not going to make it over the Internet. Now, that, that, that doesn't do anything against online study, but I would say that if you have a serious call 
and you realize that you want to be transformed into it and not just informed, then you probably should be with your mentor so that you get the benefit of that mentor radiation. Because I radiate, and that's why people say, when I'm sitting with you, I know it, all is clear. And I'm sure maybe the prophets will speak to that later on in the broadcast. But it was all clear, and I knew it. I went home, and I said, what? Because when you're in the presence of that teacher, trainer, professor, educator, you are not just getting the benefit of the sound of their voice or the view of the information. You're getting what they're emitting, what we're radiating, and what we exude with every word. So you're getting a a, um, psychological and neurological impartation or dispensation from what we said, and not just, well, I read it, I studied it, etc. And so we have people who were in my first biblical psychology class. It was packed, and um, they they didn't get it, but they had the benefit of my radiation. They go back and repeat it or take it online, and they have the benefit of both because they have the recall of what the experience was like, and then they're getting the review of the material. I think that's good. So, when, so if, whenever you get a chance to be in a live class, you should take it if, if you feel that what you are learning is what you are to become. Because really, live classes for those people who want to become or who want to prepare to become more than educated. They want to become transformed. They want to be, be, begin to wear it and not just hear it. So I'm, I'm, you're going to see, I do this all the time. Near my classes, you're going to get a lot, of, a lot of acronyms, and I don't apologize for it, okay? So this is one of my training programs on the subject, and ha-ha, guess what is brought to you by Omni Executive Services. Now, I had another company that where I mentor, well, I'm going to be honest with you, I mentor the special, I mentor the elite, I mentor the uh, accomplished and achieved. Now, why do I do that? Because many people will have the attitude of the parable of the minor and the pals. Well, he already has a lot. So why would you do that? Because you get the most out of the best. Isn't that powerful? You get the most out of the best. So the most that I want to get, from the most harvest I want to get on my, my uh, investment, my studying, my sacrifices, I'm not going to give it to a newcomer. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to teach a, new, a novice. I'm not going to teach the average because they, they already have people helping them. They're helping them because they are new. They're helping them, they're helping them because they're not average. I want the accomplished because they will understand the concepts that I'm taking and that they have a place, a higher place than just uh, getting a grade. And people who have achieved come to a training experience or a learning experience with a lot of the, the subtleties and the psychological experiences that rationalize the education. Man, I got to hit that. Did anybody hear that? Yes. See, when you are only teaching novices, when you're only teaching the average, new things like that, you are always going to be inundated with foundational questions that 
that bog down the process and prohibit you or at least inhibit you from being able to give the instruction. Mentors, you should know that. So if you want to mentor somebody who is brand new to a subject, that's fine. But you probably should require them to go to some sort of preliminary orientation or preparatory program so that your time with them is well spent. You will be able to spend time with them improving, smoothing out, and elaborating on what they have, the foundations. So I have learned this. When I, when I go into certain environments, like I don't do a lot of, I used to do a lot of Q&A. I used to do a lot of this and that. I found out that we get these, these really ill-placed, ill-timed questions that have nothing to do with why we are together, nothing to do with the topics. Novices and average folks are always going to take you off topic. Can I say that? They're always going to take you off topic. They're always going to be the ones that, that say, I know this doesn't apply here. I know this is off topic. I know this is unrelated. You don't need that if you are mentoring anyone for a purpose. See, because there's a difference between teaching, training, educating, and mentoring. And you should know those differences. You should know those differences. You should not get caught up in just every time you get to, with your mentees, you're teaching them fundamental things. Fundamentals belong in a classroom. Fundamentals belong in a, a, a uh, tutorial. Fundamentals belong, but they don't belong in a mentorship environment, a mentorship relationship or arrangement, just simply because that's not the purpose. The purpose of mentoring is not being the first line of education, the first line of information. The purpose of mentoring is finishing or equipping people, your folks, to be finishing. It's grooming. It's refining. It's cultivating. Now, there is an element of teaching, so don't walk away from this discussion today thinking that there is no element of teaching because there is. But the teaching has a conclusionary purpose and function. It has an operative function. It has a, a de deployment objective, employment objective, not just A is for Apple and all. Oh, that's what that means. So, and I've learned these things as I'm growing and as I've grown in God over the years, I am very exclusive about who I mentor. And if you have to ask me a whole lot of ABC questions, I'm going to tell you to take a course or two in my school and then come back, because that is not what mentorship is about. And so with Omni Executive Services, I mentor people who are at that, peak, at that high level who want to go to peak level. Was that good? Yeah. Apostle, was that good? That was my point. So a lot of times you're, you're mentoring interests, you're mentoring novices, and then you're frustrated because you want to get to where you are. And they are a long distance away from where you are. And you're frustrated, and so you think the problem is them. No, it isn't. It was your selection process. You might want to revisit your selection process. You might want to revisit your, your quality or eligibility criteria. So I do, I, I'm the executive services, is I, I don't take a lot of numbers, I'm okay. You know, maybe that's why God made me grow slow, because I don't need 5,000 clients, not until I get 2,300 
replicants. Because my mentees know my people cannot get lesser service from them, lesser quality from them. You're either going to, you're going to give them what I give them or I'm not going to use you in that capacity. Now, I know you've heard people say, well, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of this, the people are going to be smarter than me, and you, you know, a lot of your kids are going to be smarter than you, and on and on. Let me just tell you that's a lie. And, uh, and the only way that can happen is that you peep. Your mentees will never be smarter than you if you continue to learn and grow. So you peaked, and because you peaked, they passed you. Because the Lord Jesus says that a disciple is not above its teeth. He said it is sufficient if a a disciple becomes like his teacher. I bet you never heard anybody say that before, but we've been away from the Bible. So if you outdid your mentor, it's because your mentor peaked and started playing instead of staying. See, because there's always, if, 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 if the principle is true that you keep building on high knowledge and your next educational experience will begin at the peak of the knowledge you're at, then your mentee should never outpace you. That's mine. They're not even trying. They, they, and they're in all my stuff. And you know what I said? I said, whatever level they are, I want to be ready to get them to the next one. So a lot, a lot of you, you heard that and you thought that was God. That wasn't God. That was somebody telling you I was a bad student. I got bored. I dropped out. I didn't think it took all of that. My brain peaked out. I don't even care what it is, but it is not a fact. You go to those, those universities, and because those professors just keep teaching you the same thing over and over again, you think that's all they do. But you never check their life. You don't check the organizations that they're involved with. You don't check the contacts that they have. You don't check the other things that they do teach on. You don't know. You think you're smart as them because you managed to get an A++, but you did get it from them. A disciple is never above their teacher, which means... If you peek out and you went above your mentor, then you had a teacher and not a mentor because the great keeps searching, the great keeps learning, the great keeps pushing, keeps digging. And in today's world, that is not hard to do. You can do that on a plane. You can do Wikipedia and all of those other ones, Google Scholars and all of those other things on a plane to stay ahead of your people. You should not be at a place where you and your people go tit for tat and you don't have the next answer. Not your mentee. Peers, colleagues, yeah, perhaps. But certainly not your mentee. Hallelujah. Are they, are they rolling with us? They are. So when we talk about omni-executive services, counsel and coaching, teaching and training, intercession and intervention, prayer and prophecy, apostleship, actionizing, spiritual warfare, and multidimensional advocacy. Many of you don't realize that the church is God's advocacy group. That's why they're his ambassadors. If you're going to say I'm an ambassador, you need to be an advocate. But these things you need to know, and you need to know what you're talking about. Sometimes, mentors, you have pushed your people too far too fast, and they imploded and then exploded. And so because you wanted to show and show off your work, you wanted to show off how your fruit looks, you pushed them too far, too fast, you put them out there too soon, and they crashed and burned. Quality mentors will not do that because it makes you look bad. Aren't you under so-and-so? Weren't you mentored by so-and-so? And this is your best? This is the best you can do? This is the greatest that you are? Uh-uh. 
I told mine, if you go, you're going without me. And I'm going to tell everybody I didn't send you. Because I need them to succeed. Nothing is worse than being put out into a, a, a field or an arena too soon and, and burning out your charisma so that now you're running on sheer will or burning out your wisdom running on your charisma, which burns out because people become disillusioned with you because you have more error than, than accuracy, more flaws and faults than triumphs. And so I told them, if you're going to go in my name, I'm, I treat my name like it's important. I need the rest of these ministers to start realizing that my name and my reputation and integrity are important. If I put a forward in your book, it's because I see something about you. If not, I don't even, ask, I don't even answer because my name is important. I spent all of these years purging my own sins, as, as, as the Bible said about Jesus, purging my own flaws, purging my own character. I did all of that while I continued to learn and refine and purge what I learned so that it's useful and it's durable. See, knowledge has to be durable. That means it must be able to endure whatever comes against it, whatever challenges it. And so when they, you know, I had a lot of uh, young people in my church in the beginning, and I find, you know, that most, most young folk, I got to go now as if they're going to die tomorrow. Baby, you 20. And unless you have an accident, you're going to be here a long time. You can spare five years to be good. You can spare five good years under a good program to be good at what you do so that you won't be humiliated, you won't be embarrassed, you won't be punked out, you won't be intimidated, and you won't be castigated forever. See, knowledge must be tried, and we still live in 24-7, 365 window. So I said to them, um, you can go, and a lot of them did. I started out with a lot of prophets. I promise you I did. I started out with a ton of prophets that I wanted to teach, and I was teaching them the way God was teaching me. So as it were, what I got from the Lord, I would have been giving to them. And I'm telling you, they didn't want that. They wanted to prophesy. All they wanted was the candy cane. They wanted to prophesy. They did not want the rod of correction. They didn't want the staff of righteousness, and they did not want the scepter of righteousness. They wanted the, they wanted the candy cane. And so we started class, and they would come the first couple of times, and they would act as if they liked it. Did you all see this? Is this nice or what? Is this cute? Yes. And I would teach. I had a class called Biblical Prophetics because I wrote a textbook called Biblical Prophetics. And I was teaching it. And they wanted to get to the they wanted to get to the devils. They wanted to get to the prophecies. They wanted to get to the predictions. They wanted to get to the the, the lights and the camera. And I said, I'm telling y'all that's not gonna work. So many of them, they dropped out, and most of them didn't drop out until they prophesied that I wasn't gonna make it. So where are they and their era today? And so, but they wouldn't, or, and, and most of them, I could, because I have a way of vetting, and one of the things I would do is give very complex assignments. Prophets have no patience for homework. Not a prophetic scholar will, an academic prophet will, a literary prophet will, and a governmental prophet might. But as a rule, your general prophesier has no patience for homework. None. I'm telling you, none. 
So you can, and if you give them homework, if they do it once, they're going to do it from everybody's tapes and books, etc., and ignore your syllabus altogether. So I give them very complex assignments because I know they don't think complex. Because with you, if, if you're constantly running on gut and intuition and gut and instinct, you're not building intelligence. You're building experience. So I knew that. And you could tell by how they talked. And then I would fail the papers because they don't think you ought to be graded in Jesus Christ. See, these are the deeds, these are the deals that I went through to get here. So I would fail their paper. And then when I, first of all, you can't fail in God. I said, I don't know why. There's a king named Saul. We have a Bible full of failures, beginning with an Adam and an Eve. So I don't know where that doctrine came from. We got a serpent that fell God. We got a husband that fell God. We got a wife that fell God. I want you to understand, we got devils that fell God. We got children that fell God. We got a cane who fell God. I'm talking about, are you kidding me? So if you are in an organization that teaches that, you need to get out because you'll never be good. Because if you can't fail anybody, that means you'll never have to give them your best. And they never have to mine your talents. And they never have to mine your excellence. And they never have to mine your soul for the superiority that's hidden in there. Because you're just going off the cuff. Everything is off the cuff. So I failed on purpose. And I failed valedictorians. I didn't care. I was like, you still fail. I don't care what you did for that school. You didn't bring it to God. And if you didn't bring it to God who I represent, then I'm not going to pass you. I don't care who you are. And you're going to do work. We're going to work because I'm not going to let you out there in my name with people being unable to trace your development and unable to verify that you know what you know and that you're good at what you do and that you've been tested and proven and found acceptable to God. Meet for the master's you. So I don't do that. So when I don't have a lot of personal mentees, meaning um, close circle. I've got mentees who read my book, people who read my book. Um, take a program, but when I bring you in, you better know you're good. And if you're not good, I will put you out. I don't have a problem saying no thank you, because you know what? I've got to protect the reputation of the Holy Ghost. I've got to take, take, protect the supremacy of the Almighty and the superiority of the mantle he put on my life, because people do not chase failures for solutions. Is that all right to say? I need a bell, don't I? Bell, bell? When you look for a solution, now they may chase failures for entertainment, but they don't chase failures for solutions. You don't look for the doctor that bombed out of med school. You look for the doctor that was the bomb in medical school and has built a quality practice. See, the church... Because of us having to, we, we've so elevated mediocrity, we've so uh, elevated average and incompetence, you are right now today disillusioned, your life is a wreck, your heart is broken, you're disillusioned with God, disenfranchised with his kingdom, you are literally jaded about his ministers. How did that happen? Incompetence. Lack of training, lack of formalized training instead of casual training. You all went to all those people who were not taught but just taught, and what they caught you thought was good. 
And some of them may have caught a cold, a disease, a devil. And you didn't know that. Because there's a lot. When, when we're talking about catching, there's a lot. Teaching is pointed and it is emphatic. But if you run on caught, you're running on caught. That means you're running on caught and it's working through your gut, which has never been purged. So these are the things that we offer. So I just, and my emphasis is wisdom. And I'm going to take you briefly through God's, hold on, sorry. Let me get you here. There you go. Through God's path to mentorship. And God has a path. When you look in the Bible, you don't see any of the things that, uh, that have been popularized for mentorship as being promoted or commended. You don't see that. You see Saul not being mentored. God didn't give him a mentor because he knew it would be a waste. He knew Saul was hard-hearted and, and self-motivated. He was self-centered. He knew that. And when he, Saul got empowered, his self-centeredness showed up. He created the draft. He took mamas and, uh, and father, father's children from them. He began to take their property. He put liens against everything. He made everything eminent domain, selfish. So God thought training him or, or uh, mentoring him would be a waste. But God had somebody, he said, who was after his own heart. And so he trained David while he let Saul run amok. Because Saul did one thing for God that he needed, and that is he opened the rank of the sovereign, of the king. He opened that rank. He had, that rank had to be opened for the king who would come to show God's people what a benevolent monarch is like, and they would be more interested in knowing after they dealt with the malevolent monarch. Because the rank of the king, and I want to say this, because many times people say, well, God, he really didn't want it that way. Yeah, he did. He had a Jesus, king of kings, coming down a lot. So he had to keep that whole realm open. But Saul didn't deserve a mentor. He didn't deserve anything but an inauguration. And he didn't want to show up for that. He was too timid. But because Saul did not know the heart of the king that was sleeping in him. See, he had this heart for leadership, a heart for sovereignty. And when he grew into it, it showed up. But it also showed up with all of his flaws. Talking about letting people run on their gift. Well, your gift will make room for you. Some of those gifts you should have, they should have never made room for. They would have done you a favor if they ignored your gift. You know, I say to my people all the time, I don't care about your gift. I'm as gifted as they come. For what I do, for the sphere I occupy, for the, I'm as gifted. You can't out-prophesy me. You can't out-pray me. You can't out-intercede me. You can't out-research me. You can't out-read me. You can't do that. And you know why? Because I submitted to the mentorship of the Almighty. I didn't fight him. I fought God one time, and I didn't fight him again because he kind of got me. Amen. Bless his heart. So remember, you're either going to be a Saul mentee or a David mentee. And Saul was a man after his own heart. And David was a man after God's heart. And when God raises you up, he expects you to be like him so that you can represent him after you've been a replicant of him. And so you have to recognize.
recognize mentorship has a path. And that path is what God stays on. And nothing, when I, I tell you, when you first come in my class, the one thing that I have everybody do and they don't like it, and that is read Psalm 119. And you should read it every year. It's the longest of the Psalms because it is the, the literal full spectrum of God's mind, heart, will, emotions, sentiments, and government. You will find out a lot about God if you do that. So that's something that I just require. When I'm, no, y'all going to do, and I don't let them just read it and tell me what they get. No, what do I have, Apostle Ashley? Topical scripture study. Yeah, she remembered. <laughs> she said, each section, you have to prove to me that you read it word for word, and then I need to see what you got from it, because that's going to tell me where to begin to mentor you. Many mentors have not read or studied Psalm 119, because it, on the surface, is the most tedious thing. Um, the only thing more tedious is those begotten until you understand why they're in the Bible. So I need to know, what are you going to do with God's word? And I'm telling you, they cry, they fuss. You can talk to my apostles today. They fuss, they fume, they pout. And if they get it wrong, you got to do it back. I give it back to them. Psalm 119, you don't want to get it wrong. 76 verses or whatever. That's a lot of verses in there. But it's the best introdu- introduction to the, the um, God spectrum that you can have in Scripture as a prophet and as a leader. Because it's got backstory, it's got uh, history, destiny, it's got experiences, and then it has all of this psychological insight. You just can't get a better one. And so that's where we go. I'm just sharing with you because some of you all are mentors and mentees. So we're going to look at the mentee mindset. You see that one? The mentee mindset. We got beginner, learner, proficient, and expert. Where are your mentees in that spectrum? I already told you, you don't need to have, <laughs> you don't need to have, if you're a mentor, a beginner, unless you are a beginning mentor. I kind of like, I noticed that God pairs you with how he tracks you and how you track in him. Some of you all, you want to go mentor somebody all deep and whatnot, Mm-mm, won't work. We have people come here decide that they're going to really uh, kind of help enlarge my uh, mentees. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because they are thoroughly and comprehensively trained. Even if they're not, if they're not fully knowledgeable, they're trained on how to get knowledge and move from level to level, degree to degree, and measure to measure in God's knowledge. You know that's good. You know that's good. So I train them to be top. See, I don't train them and say, you ought to be, just don't worry about it. Now, listen, don't let your ego get involved because, you know, God, is. you need to stay humble. You need to stay weak. I said, hold on, because God has never run, won a war with the weak. Now, he's taking kingdoms with the meek, but he has never run a war and he has competitiveness. God is a competitor. And you need to stop telling your mentees they don't have to push to be the best. 
Because God, everything in Bible says God runs with the best, and when he doesn't, it's because he's destroying and not building. He's demoting and not promoting. You have to understand his ration, because God has a rationale. So, um, so we're going to talk about this here. This is you're never going to get the whole webinar. You'll be all right with that. Mentorship for the 21st century destiny, where you have to pay. Because, see, that's another thing. It should be free. Dr. Price, not free, not cheap. So let's get really clear. But if your destiny is worthwhile, then it's worth the price. And you know why? Because you will recoup the money in your success. Anybody that you don't want to invest in, that you don't think is worthy, either is not for you or you are not for them. So when people give me money talk and money issues, I just conclude you're not for it. I'm not for you. I'm not offended. I'm a busy lady. So I'm not offended. But I don't do the freebie. See, that's why beginners want freebie. They really do. Beginners want free. Beginners want, you know, and I don't mean every beginner because some of them are very, are truly inspiring uh, experts. And they, they, they're predestined to be experts. They're predestined to be masters. They're predestined to be skilled. And if you don't recognize that you're, gonna, you're, you're predestined to be skilled and go from skilled to master, master to um, from skilled to proficient, proficient to master, and master to expert, if you don't recognize that, then you are a novice. I don't care how many years you've been doing it. Because novice have certain conversations and a consciousness and a talk that lets you know they are not able or they are not the ones. And you shouldn't invest your time in it because they're going to break your heart. Because the minute that they get tired or when you've hit their peak, they're gone and you would have poured out your best in the less. So I don't do it. And I just will tell you, I love the people of God. I preach every day. I'll do this. This is free. In this night, this is good. And trust me, Apostle Ashley's having fit. But that's all right. She'll forgive me. But this is free. But when you want to come under my mentorship, I don't have tutelage. I have mentorship. So now if I'm going to have tutelage, you're going to get that in your churches. You're going to get that if I teach a class at your school. That's tutelage. Not mentorship. Because when you come under my mentorship, it includes every piece of that. It's going to include training. It's going to include education. It's going to include technology. It's going to include theories and concepts, consciousness. It's going to include uh, tutorials. It's going to include practice and practice. It's going to include a lot. And I don't listen to complaints about work. Ask them. I don't. I don't want to hear that. Because, again, only novices do it because skills, the skills, the proficient, the master, the expert uh, seek the challenge and consider themselves up to the challenge. So they work out their issues, their way, themselves. I'm not in it. I have people on my staff. I don't mention them. I love them, but I know they can't handle it. So why am I wasting my time and breaking your heart? Are we getting there? So this comes out of the Soul of Success program. And I just think this is such a good one. It says here, the Mentoring Mentor Soul of Success program, Psalm 75, 6, for promotion cometh neither from the east, that's the rising of the sun, or ancient religions, 
or the West, that's the setting of Islam and European, um, European religion, nor from the South, which is, South is always considered the Caribbean, the fun place. But God is the judge. We don't ever hear that. We stop at from the South, and we skip over God is the judge, and he puts down one and, and sets up another. So the only way you know God is judging your leadership, that you are trying to make, uh, present God with good candidates, is if you do it according to his word. And his word has his patterns, his practices, perceptions, etc. Proverbs 22:29. This is this is huh, one of my favorite. See if thou a man diligent in his business. Do you ever hear anybody say diligent? They say gift. They don't say diligent. You see a man diligent in his business, he shall not. He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean or unknown, insignificant men or leaders, or powers. See, for your gift to make room for you, you have to have a business and not just a talent. Oh, hit something. Good. I'm getting cues from the producer. You, 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 you have to have something for them to watch, for them to evaluate, for them to assess, and then for them to judge as useful for them. So if you are a person just stepping out, see, that's why you know all of this here wasn't taught by scriptures, authors, and mentors, apostles, and prophets. Because when you're just stepping out, you know nothing, you have nothing. Corporations for decades, centuries, have let you know that we're not that interested in novices, and we're not that interested in beginners, except for our training program. You get in the training program, you don't see anything close to why you took the job. You're reading stuff that are boring you to death. You're following things that really don't make sense, and you are assigned tasks that you think are beneath you and are too mundane for you. But you know what they're doing? Protecting their progress, protecting their success. See, the ministers today have got to start protecting their success. Instead of compassion, which is what you use, you need to have tasks and action that you can measure and evaluate. So if a person is diligent and you see it on your job, you know how many of you all go on your job, you're mad because so-and-so got promoted and you've been there all this time, you never noticed that they were diligent. You didn't notice that they were not in the lunchroom when you were in there or the cafeteria. You didn't notice that they were not in the break room with you talking and gossiping. You didn't notice that they came early. You didn't notice that they stayed late. You didn't notice that they always agreed. They always said yes and did the job. You noticed nothing but the fact that you all have a different uh, tenure or a different period of time in the building. So in your mind, it's all about time. But in God's mind, it's all about diligence. He said, the hand of the diligent shall prosper. And then you look around here, and this person, diligent in his business, or as Jesus said, diligent in another's business, is promoted. And you're still there complaining about, I just can't, I just can't wait to retire. Oh, please, I just can't. Man, they ought to be glad I can't do it. Do you know I didn't even want to come to work today? I came in and sat outside in my car and listened to my music and drank my coffee and ate my breakfast. And you think these people don't know that they are the last thing on your mind. 
You think they can't detect that. They chose leaders. And leaders know leaders, and leaders know laborers, and leaders know failures, and leaders know sloths. It's the truth. So we're going to go here and look at um, the acronyms. Mentor, mentorship, mentality, and exchange. What, are, what, what, what do I get in exchange for my time? I don't just want money because, you know, I can sell books or do a seminar or whatever to get money. I want replication, and I want perpetuity. I want people who can keep this thing going when I'm gone. I've always taught my, my leaders and their trainings. I've always said if people are only good when you're there, you don't know how good they are. It's when you are gone that your training, your systems, and all of your administration prove themselves. When you come back and people say, oh, but he did a good job. Oh, but she good. We almost didn't miss you. That's success as a mentor. That is mentorship success. The praise of the superiority of what you've done and what was done in your absence. But when you leave, if you leave, they can't find the cords, they can't find the board, they can't go up the stairs, can't go down the stairs, they don't know how to start, they can't start on time, they can't finish on time. You know, mentees who don't know when to shut up are just as problematic as those who don't know how to start. Diligence. Because you talk too much. Too much talk confuses people. They don't know what to take away. They don't know what to, what to hold on to. They don't know how to prioritize it so that this is first, this is second. They don't know any of that. All they know is that they had a long talk every time. I often tell folks, listen, get to the punctuation mark. Let them ask you. Christians are bad at getting to punctuation. We just go on. We have these long, long harangues. Got to be background, backstory. Got to be how it began. I don't want a history lesson. And if I'm not on your staff, knowing all of that is not going to benefit me unless I see some sort of connection to it and what I'm doing. And then the spectrum. You know, mentorship, everything in God is a spectrum. You know, that's a hot word. Now we're using it for, you know, mental illness, but it used to be used for just an array, for sun, for um, horizons, for fields, or whatever. You have to be careful because they, those are subtle shifts that change your perception and your consciousness of words and the knowledge they mean to impart. So our Solar Success Program mentorship features imitating our Savior's mentorship mode, learning to mentor from heaven to earth. And I have a whole list here of different things that you would get when you're in the class. So we're, gonna, we're coming to an end. I think my prophet should be coming around the, to- the corner here, but we're coming to the end. But um, assessing a mentorship by its component parts, methods of instruction, explanations. Most people who instruct off the cuff never explain. They just don't. They discuss, and they think those discussions are explanations. But explanations clarify, explanations illustrate, and they usually are hard copies. Somewhere or other, they're written down for you to remember because they know humans don't remember. We might not use, we, you know, we might have destroyed the myth of only 30% of our, what we hear is remember, but you know what? That 30% has to compete with a whole lot of things. 
and it is a foregone conclusion what people read, they tend to hold on to in their memory better than what they hear, even if they're an auditory learner. So you need a combination of both explanations, and then we have um, demonstrations. Show me how to do it. If you are a mentor who keeps giving instructions off the cuff, you never demonstrate. So people don't know how to do it. And in your mind, the, well, I told them what to do. I told them to get it done. I told No, they need to see an illustration, a model. That is what your textbook is. It tells you and it demonstrates. And it gives you diagrams and illustrations on how to do it. And then collaborating. It is not about um, bossing. It is not about pushing or even, as Christians said, to do cursing because people didn't get your ill-prepared, ill communicated development. And then also learning by teaching. Have to let people practice. Have to let them role play. They have to practice what you want them to do. So mentorship is not a quick process. It is a step-by-step escalating process that gets you to a point that people understand the foundation so well that they can build on it and stand at the top. And then we have the mentoring tree. I like the mentoring tree. Coaching, training, all of these things are in the mentoring tree. I'm running out of time. Uh, Apostle, come on up. And then we have the mentorship connection. This is mentor-mentee, mentee intellect, mentee emotional intelligence. You have got to be able to do that. You must e- evaluate your people and pre-evaluate them before committing to them. These people, a lot of people want to be mentored by folks they think are famous or folks they think are just, you know, going to get them where they're going to be, stepping stones. You don't need a stepping stone mentee because they're never going to do anything um, that's in private because they're planning to show off in public. So you don't need that. That doesn't, that doesn't you'd be a great mentor, but that doesn't bode well. That doesn't help you. So you don't need that. Okay? You don't need a mentee who every time you turn around, their feelings are hurt, outbursts, and they're pouting. They're not talking to you. They're moody. And, and when their feelings are hurt, they always stop showing up. Yeah, well, I might have to work late. Well, now before, what you were doing was a priority, but now they're hurt. Their feelings are hurt, so now they're punishing you. And say, so I don't deal with mentee punishing. I'm going to tell you right now, I am so bad at that. Please don't. Please don't. Because to me, if I've addressed an issue, we've resolved it, I'm done with it. I don't want to relive that thing through your emotions, your tears, your tantrums, and eventually your, your reduced performance and your reduced uh, excellence. I'm not doing that. I'm, I, I'm in it to win it. And let me tell you something. If you're a mentor, you should be in it to win it, and you shouldn't have people who have a problem with winning under your wing. Mm-hmm. You know, because we get those people. You know the ones... But, you know, to tell you, uh, but, but God said his yoke is easy, but go under his wing. Because <laughs> okay. I'm not doing it. I'm not. You, let, you wing it with the Holy Ghost because you're not winging it with me. <laughs> or you get the people to say, you know, God is love. So what are you telling me? I should love sloth because you are lazy? No. Go where the lazy go. You belong with the beginners. They can't tell me those stupid kind of things. I don't listen to that kind of silliness. And you know why? People at the top don't have patience or grace for it. Because yeah. my grace is for taking on enemy, enemies and adversaries. My grace is for getting Jesus where he ought to be in this planet as well as in the hearts of his people and the hearts of society. See, I am very clear on that. 
I don't need a rebuking mentee. If you're going to rebuke me, baby, you are done. Is this true? Yes. Take what I said. Okay, and what does a rebuke sound like when you're rebuking your mentee, your mentor? Well, rebuke sounds like, you know, so-and-so is doing it this way. Yeah. Okay, so then first of all, they go. It's always a comparison, comparison, contrast. That's the first rebuke. Okay, so and so is always doing it better, and I'm like, well, go to so and so. You know, that didn't work with my kids. My kids could ever tell me what the neighbors were doing. I, you want to pack? Then you need to pack and go there and see if they let you live. Because I'm doing it this way. And so that's one of the ones that you get. The second one is always correcting, telling you what they read and heard. Who, that was different from what you're saying. Oh, no, 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 baby. You need to go ahead and run in your book. So then I'm so, no, I used to be, you know, when I first started mentoring, I used to be like, every time you turn around, I was being corrected and, I, and it kept me off kilter. It kept me feeling insecure. And I was like, hold on, I'm good at this. I paid my dues. You know nothing. Uh-uh. Now, I love my mentees. Don't get me wrong. And then the next one is quoting scripture to tell you how you're wrong. So you find it all of the corrective scriptures to correct leadership, but you can't fix yourself. Yeah. I'm going to need the scriptures to be walking and talking and wearing on you. So you, you get that. And then the other one will, will tell you what the corrective is going to tell you how much they should bear from you. So they're going to tell you that you really need to have shorter classes, shorter hours. You need to use a little less Jesus. You need to do a little more of this. So you always, so you get these mentees that are always in corrective mode. Baby, I, I got no grace. Please don't do that. Please don't. I used to go through the trouble of counseling when I was younger because I thought it would matter. But those people start, they never stop, and then they leave you and lie on you. Yeah. Absolutely. Building a case. Yeah. Building a case for their failure or their inability. And you have to know when your mentee is case building for future excuse or future escape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's important to do that. So uh, if you look on the screen, become a mentee and subscribe to monthly mentorship. Enter the world of the mentoring mentor. I wanted you to have a sense of what it's like. And this was for the mentee and the mentor. A lot of mentors don't protect themselves. They don't guard themselves well. They, they, they feel like it's some sort of full-on open layout. You know, it took this woman years to win my trust, and she'll tell you. And this woman is what they tell you, because I kept that healthy difference. Sometimes you need to keep your mentees at arm's length for a while. So you yeah. find out what they will do with your privacy, what they, what they will do with your confidences, what they will do with the privileges, and you need to know that. And that's not something you say, well, I, I held them off for six weeks. If, if you think that you know somebody in six weeks, God bless you. Right. And you need to be in heaven. Because <laughs> people shock you what after six years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Six decades. <laughs> So I, it, it took a long while, and I, and I have a list of things that I was listening for. And when she started admitting that conversation, I said, okay, so you might be safe. Okay, you might be secure. Good. Oh, you might really care about me. Right. You might really care about what I'm doing. And so you know your mentee has transformed when they become a guard. Mm-hmm. When they just become a guard. When all of a sudden they want to guard what you're teaching them and what they're learning and guard you 
from those who want to exploit you. See, and that's years. That's why in the beginning, I told you, you need to have some sort of screener, you need to have some sort of uh, orientation and preparer, and you need to have a, a long, it should be days of covenant talking. Okay, what are you willing to give? What am I, the exchange, you saw that, what are you willing to give? What do you want me to give you in return? All of that needs to be clear because it is a covenant relationship that is going to breach all of the bounds and barriers of security and familiarity. It's going to happen. So you have to be very careful about it. If you have questions or something, please keep those in because I want to talk to, talk to you about them, and I want to answer what you said. You want to start? Well, well. Uh, this is one of my favorite subjects. I know. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Doreen. She gets caught. I do. It's a dynamic yeah. relationship that is unique to each and every mentor mentee. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever the rules, because you form rules mm-hmm. in you your do. relationship. And like you said, that takes time. And we were talking, was that just yesterday? yesterday on the telephone mm-hmm. about one of the assignments I gave my class was find out the five most important things to your mentor. Oh, that's good. And why? That's good. It's not enough to know what's important if you're in that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to know why. Yeah. Well, you should care about why. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. So, and respect the reason, as well as the top five things you should never do mm-hmm. with yeah. your mentor. And why? Caring enough, investigating enough, and that could take time mm-hmm. to learn. Yeah. I remember you used to say things very intensely, and I used to think, mental note, find out why <laughs> that's a hot issue. And it could be something you really love. Mm-hmm. It could be something you really disdain. Mm-hmm. Why is this important? And not slotting everything in the default lazy Oh, that's just you. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that in our in friendships. So mm-hmm. oh, that's just, I know that's just really important to you. You just want to pick up a pen and be like, why do you care? But my question is, why isn't it important to you? If why you're in you a care? friendship, why isn't it important to you? Exactly. And why do you want us to have harmony and yeah. whatever? Why do you have to be, why do I have to be demeaned? Because you don't have the same flaw or the same P that I have. Yeah, well, you taught us about that diminishing language. Your little this and I, that little that oh, and this yeah. little thing over here and I know. And it's like all of a sudden you realize, I think I'm being minimized mm-hmm. in this relationship constantly. And bad friends always minimize because minimizing you justifies their abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's why yeah. they do it. Oh, yeah. justifies. So I don't, I mean, well, and you know, dear, that's your little little song. So I don't use that phrase. I had a colleague who said that about all of her mentees. It was always that little, that little. See, that language may not be picked up on, and sometimes mentees feel afraid to respond, but they know it's belittling. Mm-hmm. It's that belittling. When you say li- that little so and so, that's a belittling phrase. So you never say that to people who are trying, because God says, despise not the day of small beginnings. Mm-hmm. So this is her little so-and-so, and that is because you feel insecure and you feel inferior to that person. So to even decide to level the playing field or the seesaw, you keep using belittling terms so that they don't feel confident or secure in what they're doing, and they're always questioning the quality of what they do. Yeah. See, that's yeah. what menti- a lot of mentees do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of mentors rather do that. And so 
you're never going to get applauded. I'll tell you another thing that, that's bad, and that is you always start with people's negative. Oh, you don't yeah. ever see anything good about your mentee. They can't, I don't care what. And if you see something good and they, they hurt your feelings, you can rest assured that that good is never going to come up again. Yeah, ever. Ever. But that was a good point that you brought up. My favorite subject. <laughs> okay. Um, when you, I'll jump down to my first jar. Well, when you said a good mentor will see to it that your people don't fear you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that is so true. And one of the surprises that a lot of your colleagues had when they saw you interacting with us, especially in the early years, was we weren't afraid of you. Mm-mm. Now, we weren't going to come against you. No, we were stupid, but <laughs> we were not afraid of you. And how that engagement with your mentor mentee, when you just, if you can be objective enough as a mentor to step back mm-hmm. and see, are my people actually afraid of me? Mm-hmm. Is there a real fear of making a mistake? And we work hard even here at stripping people from the fear of making mistakes while still respecting the importance of striving to achieve the standard. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, I know. I, I had to say that somebody said to me the other day about something. Well, I know. I don't want to get in trouble if I do. You were not going to get in trouble for doing your job, first of all. That's, that was never implied. Mm-hmm. Never. But knowing as a mentor, when you're dealing with someone who has been abused in other relationships, mm-hmm. That's a default setting is correction is abuse. This is, and so having that intelligence, which is why you said taking the time to get to know people, to know what you're working with mm-hmm. as a mentor, and to set the pace. No, this is going to be the crock pot mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah, and we're going to slow cook. cook. This is going to be on the slow cook, too. Slow, on low. Mm-hmm. Like, not quite on low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not too slow. Maybe high. warm. We Maybe. might keep it on warm. Keep it on Just warm for a couple of years. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then work your way up to it. I thought that was really good. Uh, don't be a bullying mentor. And and I would say on the mentee side, don't be an emotional bully as a mentee. Yeah. <laughs> or coward. Because a lot of people who... Uh, don't have the legitimate upper hand or position, will do the passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not going to get you overtly, but I'm going to get you in 10,000. Oh, you know what? I, I lost your stuff. Oh, that's right. Did you call me? I didn't that's right. Oh, whoops. Sorry. <laughs> you know. And uh, not sorry. No. Did you tell me to do that? Because yeah, I don't I remember, remember that. No. I don't remember that. Oh, my other one, when they really are, when they're real cunning, they'll say, well, I didn't get it like that. Ah, that's okay. a cunning yeah, yeah, yeah. theory. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So when they're real cut. And then the follow-up phrase to that, well, if that's what you said, then I guess that's just what it's going to have to <laughs> so be. So then we go from cunning to accusatory. Yes. So, I mean, I'll accept that you said it, but I really don't believe that mm-hmm. you did. And I just think that I'm not at fault here. Yeah. Because you know. And see, that kind of, see, the world needs that kind of stuff. That's the wisdom of this world. But they need that because they can't bring warmth and love and fairness and justice, just um, dry, long, so. And I don't mean none of them. I mean so many of them. And, so, and we see that in the, the, the shows and the programs, et cetera, that the mentee is the smarter one. The mentee is the bolder one, all of that. But that, that's because the world is yeah. on a campaign to disrupt, disrupt institutions and stability. Yes, yeah. They need people unstable. But I'm going to tell you something. I like that you brought that out because that whole, the, other, the downside of bullying is that mentee. And then, uh, they're all, then they're going to do things to make you late. They will make Ooh. you late yeah. because, oops, I forgot. Oops, 
you always held up while they're trying to remember yeah, right. what they didn't remember. And so they do things to make you late. If they're mad with you, just connect the timing to all of a sudden their incompetence. And you're going to find they forget this. Now, you've been doing this for, what, five years. Now, all of a sudden, you can't remember to do this. You don't know where to do that. Yeah. Lack of memory, all of that. Because when something is important to you, you commit it to memory. Absolutely, yeah. Let me write that down so I can remember it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I remember when uh, in some of my really, really early years with you, Dr. Price, you talked about that very thing about forgetting. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it's hard for me to say that I forgot something because I recognize that if I forgot, I didn't plan to remember. Mm-hmm. That really, really stuck with me. I remember those early years. Um, this discussion today is really, you know, so powerful. You have a, uh, Dr. Price has a section of attorneys generals that is really dedicated to mentorship and a piece of that we pull out for our program, seven outcomes of mentorship, the benefits, the key benefits of mentorship. And I always go through it with all of my mentee relationships. We start at the beginning because a lot of people have no concept of what a mentorship relationship should be. And um, this uh, section in the attorneys generals really explains um, the expectation Mm -hmm. that a mentee must have from their mentor, um, but also the understanding that a mentee must have of what their mentor's place in their life Mm -hmm. is. You know, so many people end up in destructive mentor-mentee relationships because they really have no idea what the purpose is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this discussion today is really powerful Mm -hmm. for that reason. I've been reading a a book on successful women, and she talks, the author talks about five questions you should ask from your mentee, but one thing that stood out to me, and I think it made me appreciate more the relationship that I have with you in my life, and um, and that is that she talked about the fact that your mentor, um, they're supposed to kind of live out mistakes that you should avoid, mm-hmm. and you have to, as a mentee, um, learn from that, and you have to be willing to say, you know what, I don't need to experience that because Mm -hmm. my mentor has experienced that and I just need to learn, okay, from that, you know, and and some of us are a little more headstrong, we're like, I need to bump my head into a wall, you know, but uh, but, but learning to be, okay, I definitely tend to be that person in life, but I just want to just try, like, I know my mentor said if I bump my head in the wall and it'll bruise, but but just try, like, I'll just try, like, maybe if I hit it this way, it won't, you know, you know, you have to learn, you have to learn to be a better mentee. You have to learn to learn from people. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I just wanted to bring that out because I, that's a really powerful piece of, mm-hmm. of her book, Attorneys Generals. If you don't have it, you should get that, especially if you're going to be in a mentor relationship. Mm-hmm. There are also pieces about mentorship in her book, Divine Order for Spiritual Dominance. Mm-hmm. A lot of people sleep on that book. They don't know what it's about. It's oh. a very powerful book about understanding kingdom relationships. So if you are in a mentor-mentee relationship, I really encourage you to get that text as well. Get that during this Christmas season, Divine Order for spiritual dominance, eternities, generals, even if you're not called to apostleship, you can benefit from the wisdom in eternities, generals, and I would specifically say to those who are under apostles, you need to read that book because it will help you to understand the mantle that is mentoring you. Mm, I love it. I'm telling you right now. The mentoring I love mantle. It. The mentoring mantle. Did you have anything else? Because you know you're showing off today. Yeah. But first of all, let me just talk about her because, you know, she is that one that will say, oh, did you get six stitches? Okay, then I don't need to do that because yeah. I don't need six stitches. Yeah. You know, to, I, I, I don't need that. I mean, I think that is such a um, that was such a good piece. Yeah. And, and and many times I would try to tell you, but and I had most. I would tell you most of my mentees are, let me feel it, let me live it, let me taste it, you know, and yeah. learn to hate it. 
<laughs> but first, let me do all of that. Because that's, first of all, I think that's the consciousness of the church. Yeah. Your ministry, you know, if we're breaking down um, institutions, and then we're moving into individuals. And if we're moving into individuality, then it's a case-by-case, person-by-person situation. Uh-huh. And so um, one of the reasons that I knew she was different as an, a, an apostolic is because she always cared about the institution and the synergy of that institution. And, but most times, if you have a mentee that's going to constantly do that, then you need to save all your good stuff for when they've learned. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. Because it, it's, it's like, you know, putting water in a bag with holes in it. It's like, first of all, it's a bag. It's not going to hold the water. And then, then with the holes, there you go. And so I think that that's a very good piece. And I am a personal fan of that section in Attorney Generals because you can build a wonderful assessment profile for your mentees from that. You can just, you know, you, you can just say, okay, there's a section that I, I uh, expect, I implore everybody to read it called Coming Under Your Mentor's Wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it take and what does it require? For example, and I'm going to say some pretty sensitive things, but then I've been known to do that. Don't start. What? Don't start. Because I know you're about to start. <laughs> but I'm going to say some pretty sensitive things um, about this whole thing. Um, the first thing I want to tell you is that um, I have found that it's very difficult to mentor married people. Mm. A lot of your failures had nothing to do with you. You were trying to mentor someone who had somebody in the background calling the shots. If you don't know all of the shot callers that are going to be involved in your mentorship, then you need to take your time and find out who does this person really listen to. Because I'm telling you, I have found in my, in my years it is very difficult. And because the church has put marriage on the platform of, of idolatry and marriage on the platform of, um, of, of ministry, you will be mentoring people who will want you to, to drop your standards because of their matrimonial existence and obligations. So I found it very hard. So if I'm, if I'm going to mentor you and you're married, I'm going to need to find out on all sides because I want to know what the shot caller is because there are some marriages, like, like going to college, honey, I'm in college. You, no, I got, I'm going to school. Okay? Well, your mentorship needs to have that kind of relationship. When it comes to this, this is off limits, and I've had people do it. This is off limits. You, we, uh-uh. I'm going to do this. This is what God gave me to do. This is my calling, and you actually rank that thing effectively enough so that you can do it. So I found that's very difficult. I found it's very difficult to mentor young people. Young people have, have nothing but intake knowledge. You know, they've watched movies, they've gone to shows, et cetera. So have this, and you're always competing with the culture consciousness with young people, and that is difficult. So unless you get one who grew up in church, was serious about God and all of that, it's going to be a waste of your time. I'm putting together a list of mentorship time wasters. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because some of you all who, are, who were very good mentors, 
you were genuine, your heart was sincere, you will, God is telling you about mentoring somebody now, you're like, uh-uh, no, mm-mm, I know how this is going to play out, I know how this is turning out, so then I'm going to talk to you about mentor, mentor unforgiveness and mentor, or mentee unforgiveness. You're going to have to forget those things which are behind and press forward with that which, which is ahead and make sure that you do a better job of screening your mentee, your candidates. Oh, okay. And she's not going to oh. shut up. Please hold your chest, though. You keep talking. Okay. So I want to <laughs> save that, yeah, because I do have that over there. But I, want, I really want you to be aware that um, you were not altogether wrong. You might have had the wrong choice. You could have had a better screening, et cetera. And on the flip side, the same thing with the mentee. You know, your mentee should not have the only say into whether or not a mentoring relationship um, is created. When people come to me and say, God told you, told me to, uh, that you would mentor me, I want to ask why, especially if he didn't tell me. Because I got to do the heavy lifting here. You know, because, see, you have a, a probably a, a more uh, integrous relationship with God than you have with, you know, his people. And so when they come and tell me that or when they say, God told me you're my mother-in-law, okay, well, we'll see how that works out. Because everybody who has ever announced it has never, ever meant it, ever. Wow. Not one. I, I mean, I'm sitting here 37 years. God told me you're my mother. No, no. No, no, because when, because I, and my first thought is, let's talk about you and your mama relationship. Because you might have treated your mother very poorly. And that means I'm in for a bad ride. Well. Well, isn't it the truth? Because a lot of people have bad relationship with their parents. That's why basing ministry strictly on parenting is very risky. It creates a very volatile trans, uh, I want to say pedestal, but also a translation of the term. Yeah. So I'm all of a sudden, as soon as I correct you, yeah, that's just like my mama did. I'm not your mama. So we don't start on that. <laughs> we start on matriarch. I'm your, I, I don't have a problem having a matriarchal relationship with you. But if you understand matriarch, that means mother rules. So we have to have rules in this relationship. You don't want to have that. You definitely do not want to have uh, mentees who are bringing the baggage of family issues. You know, if you're going to mentor someone who's had a rough upbringing, then put them through some soul healing, soul cleansing uh, uh, processes first. You know, I have 3D. We have biblical psychology. Before, because I, I need to know your soul. We've been like, well, you need to know everybody about your spirit. Yeah, well, we know you by the spirit, and we're not quite sure what we feel about that. But it's your soul that governs your body mm-hmm. and that programs your mind. So I need to know your soul. What's in your soul? What are you suffering from? And you might be genuine and real, but I might have to tell you our mentorship cannot kick off for two years. And I need you to respect that and to regard that and not think that I'm being elitist or or conceited. I'm not. I'm telling you that for you to get the best out of me and me to enjoy my time with you, anybody hear me? Mm -hmm. And so I just think those were just good points that we should should mention. Are you finished? Can she start? I don't see any blue. Why is there no blue? No, there's blue. I was writing. Oh, okay. And I, I go back. Those are the blue in there. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> the blue comes after. But today, you ha- she had me write. I do have blue on this page. Um, 
I liked what you talked about that people will not grow without consistency, mm-hmm. that yeah, inconsistency actually confuses people. I think that's really powerful because we tend to we tend to think that the more free and loose we are with the standard that that's what people love and that that's mm-hmm. what people want. Um, but in just working with kids, as long as I have, um, I've recognized that the kids that will come to me that have parents that are extremely loose and they really have no standard or rules, mm-hmm. they actually feel very lost in life. They, do. they don't really know who they are. You know, they actually, kids that have no standard struggle with identity. Mm-hmm. So it's Very interesting good. to me that um, mm-hmm. you would talk about the fact that consistency produces stronger mentorship. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was really powerful. Well, but then you point. also said that consist yes, and you said that consistency requires standards. So you're not going to be able to build something consistent by trying to avoid the standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see that you helped a lot of people with that today, a lot of people with that today. Um, and, and with that, you talked about the fact that, I thought this was powerful, that writing is the only way you'll have consistency. I remember um, I remember getting here as a young, young lady, and everything was on paper, everything, like everything. If it was, if it was, if it was, I mean, if it was rule about using the restrooms, it was on paper, everything was on paper, there was nothing that wasn't on paper, everything that Dr. Price did had paper. If you were going to go to a meeting with Dr. Price, you expected to get paper. But what I realized as growing up in this, I really did grow up under her ministry. I was 19 when I first met Dr. Price, but, um, and growing up under that, when I would encounter people in the city from different ministries, Mm -hmm. um, they would often complain about one thing. I never really know what's expected. I don't really know what we're doing. Everything is by the seat of our pants and you never really know. And I was like, oh, that's not my church. Confused about what Dr. Paula Price wants to happen ever. It's going to be a memo and email a paper. You're not going to be lost. (laughs) You're going to know exactly what she wants to happen. Um, But I didn't realize that that was actually a privilege of being under good leadership. I didn't know that at the time. Okay. Now I know. You know, so now I realize. I like privilege. Okay. And it's a benefit to being under a good leader, you know, when things are written down um, and when there's some kind of standard. So being under a standard is actually a privilege and it's a gift to you. So if God puts you under a leader that has standards, that's a gift. That's not a curse. That's not a punishment. Mm-hmm. That's a gift because it helps you to know where the reins are. It helps you know who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. Well, they often say in the church that it's legalistic, yeah. that it's dominating, you're trying to control me, etc. And if you're a mentee who gets paper and put it everywhere but where you can find it, then that is dismissive. That means you're indifferent about your excellence. You're indifferent about your competence. You're indifferent about what's required of you. Mm-hmm. Or you're a mentee who says, oh, I got a, I got a memory like an elephant. I'm like, did your elephant die? Oh, my God. But let's talk about what an elephant has to remember, though. (laughs) I mean, come on. I like elephants. They're one of my favorite creatures as far as that goes. Elephants remember scents. They'll remember people. They don't have to remember administration, instructions, or anything like that. So that's not even inaccurate. Comparison, but I remember when we were in a Bible study one time, and we had people from another church there. Uh, another prominent minister, and um, we were 
so surprised because we were just talking about what we were doing in our church and this is my responsibility and this is what I have in children's ministry and whatever. And we were so thrown because it's like the comment came out of left field to us. You know, I really envy you guys. We were like, hmm? You're like, what? We got paper. Seriously? Because that's not the word on the street right now. Oh, yeah. And he said because you, it's clear Dr. Price empowers her leaders to do their job. Yeah. And then you're not blindsided by being replaced because they mm-hmm. said their ministry was constantly in flux, which is what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And restructuring was always the term that was yeah. used. We're restructuring. We're restructuring. Meaning, I never know the day I'm coming in, I'm going to be fired. Absolutely. And I don't know why. And I'm going to be replaced by somebody who is nowhere near qualified, but has the now new favorite mm-hmm. of the leader. Oh, yeah. that's such a good and point. That's, I think that's, that's so first good point. We always, when we focus on standards, we focus on what. What do you all feel about this? Let us know. Yeah, I was going to say that when we focus right on standards, down. we always focus on what the limitations are with the mm-hmm. standard, but we don't focus on the part of it that if the unknown, which could disqualify us, fire us mm-hmm. or cancel us out. So it's like if you're, you're you're focusing on the fact that, oh, there's so many standards, I just, you know, there, there's so many limitations. But the thing is, without those, you don't know when you're not meeting them. Mm-hmm. And that means right. that any moment you could be mm-hmm. doing that, you know, mm-hmm. and that you're, you have no job security. You know, mm-hmm. without standards, you have zero job security because you don't know if you're meeting them or not. You have no idea. You have nothing to measure. Mm-hmm. You know, at least here, <laughs> listen, I know, okay? I know if I <laughs> do something that's going to get me fired, you know, okay? Mm-hmm. You know if you do something that's going to get promoted, you know. Yeah. You know, here you just mm-hmm. know, you know okay? There are no you know, there's just, you just you, you, you don't question. You know, you just know, and and that does help to promote uh, an environment of more security mm-hmm. because you know you just know what the lines are, and that's important. And you know what else you don't get when you have that kind of environment? Affirmation that's not based on emotion. Yeah, that's good. Or sentiment or favoritism. Mm-hmm. You mentioned favoritism. Yeah. yeah. So you don't. So you walk around thinking I just fell out of favor. Mm-hmm. Right. And. Right. You don't even know why. Well, what, why was I in favor? Like, what, why was I favored in the first place? Yes. Because yes. I don't know that either. Yes. So you don't know that. Mm-hmm. The sec- Another thing you don't get is the ability to fight for your position. Because, okay. see, they don't bring these papers out to me. Trust me. Actually, I have a binder. <laughs> Wait a minute. Actually, and that's why a lot of leaders don't do it either, because they don't want to live up to it. See, I... Wrote these, uh, everything that, that whatever they have, I've, I wrote it from the beginning. But they also know that I make myself accountable to what I wrote the same way God makes himself accountable to his scriptures. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't have to follow his own scriptures, I wrote them. But he knows that for the good of the people, the sake of his organization, for its growth and stability, and his people's, as they pointed out, security, he will make himself accountable. I, when I was studying a, a leadership, and I've studied it a lot of years, one of the things they said is they can tell you all of those techniques and all of those attributes of a leader, but a real leader does two things. They assume their people need to know and need to remember what's expected or required of them. And the second thing they do is make themselves accountable to those requirements so they're not mo- modeling rule-breaking at all. Mm. So they have the, and they know it. They'll come to me and say, but you know, I mean, especially, and you need them when you're, when you're a leader and you even got mad. Somebody made you mad. You're all hot-headed. You want to fire everybody. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. We've got this little policy here. So we're all protected by what I projected. And I projected and anticipated whatever it is humans do, because we are all human. 
the leader. It protected me from jumping to rash conclusions. It protected me from unfairness and inequity. It protects me so that I'm always respectable in their sight and worthy of respect. So the best thing you can say is that your leader is fair. Right. David, David, I mean, you know, I studied this in, in, um, when I first started my church, and David wrote in, I, I want to say, um, I want to say 2 Samuel 22. He said, but he who rules must rule in the fear of God. And he gives you what his psyche was about ruling. And it was about must, he said, they must be just. Today, Christians don't think their leaders are just. Oh. They're, they're, that's why they just don't go to church. Because you don't think your leaders are just. That's why they just don't serve. Because you don't think you have a thing. You go out and tell your family, I've been put over to so-and-so. I'm the head of this and what. I'm allowed to do this and that. You cross that leader and you're gone. And when you're gone, you have to go to your family and say, well, my leader sat me down or whatever because they either put you up rashly or they just had an outbreak. And now you look like you are a flop to your family. Say, I consider those things. Mm. I don't just consider, well, this is what I want. I don't have a do as I say. I have a, this is your framework. Make it happen. Don't fail. Don't cost me money. And don't cost me the sheep. Say, I'm very serious about those things. And they'll tell you I am. But they are. We agree. We're not talking about women who didn't agree. In their heart of hearts, they wanted it that way. And they bit the bullet, took the hits, took the fight, and all of the blows till they got it. And I think that's important. I want to read this. Oh, yeah. On the, um, oh, man, I took the thing out because I could have had them see it. Okay. Okay. Um, Mentor from the uh, online etymology dictionary. I, um, I use it a lot. And the word mentor as a noun, the first thing a mentor is, I want you, I'm going to read it kind of slowly for you all to get it, but I know you can go back. A wise advisor. A mentor is a wise advisor. Did you hear me when I said to you before, it's not just about teaching and training or tutelage. It's a wise advisor. And it comes from the word, the Greek word that means uh, a friend. And so it's a friend or friendly advisor. Now, this comes from other, you know, Greco-Roman stuff. I just dumped that because I'm like, yep, shut him up. Okay. Perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, um, ultimately meaning advisor because the name appears to be an agent of the noun, mentos, which means, listen to me, which means intent, purpose, spirit, passion. And it comes from, the Proto-Indo-European uh, manyeo, which, mean, which I really think is powerful, one who thinks. So I am to teach them how to think and advise their actions on that thought. So I'm very clear. And then it says, but I like this word, and the Latin word monitor, one who admonishes. So if your feelings get hurt every time your mentor admonishes you, you're not their mentee. Oh, my. So you need to go someplace where they speak wonderfully, lilting, great, charismatic, I'm okay, you're okay, hey, 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 we're all okay. (laughs) See, that is not me. See, because I get admonished by God regularly. Oh, my. And I share my admonishment with my mentee. Okay, Mm -hmm. God got me, so I'm getting you. So it comes from the root word M-E-N, which understood means to think. So thoughtless people 
are thoughtless without mentorship. Huh. Mentorship makes you think. I don't care if you think about how much I hurt your feelings. <laughs> You're still thinking. I'm just saying, yeah. All right. And the general use of the word probably is via later, <coughs> excuse me, popular romances. So when you go into it, men means to think. And it's important for you to understand, yeah, because it's teaching you to think. I spend a lot of time, now, because remember, charismata is about feeling. Yoga, feeling. Um, spirituality, feeling. Right. And feelings still must process through your brain, through your mind, your psychological self, and your brain, because your feelings must be translated to actions. I studied last night. I, I did a major study because I'm doing a, I'm developing a course on the mind for the Holy Ghost, and um, and so I studied the word visceral, which you hear every day. That's the new buzzword. You know when they get a buzzword. I think they go to all of the TV script writers. I know they must go to the same monthly meeting because they come out with the same stuff. Nothing creative, nothing artistic, nothing ingenious. Just the constant rehashing of the grizzliness of the human experience. So, and it's, but it is grizzly. Most yeah. of what they have is grizzly. You, can you imagine? We're calling grizzly art. Yeah. I challenge every one of them do something ingenious, do something in, innovative, use your artistry yeah. instead of your memory. Wow. And so, um, so. This work, because they don't work by artistry any longer. You don't get art from entertainment. They need to take arts off. Hmm. Yeah, pretty much. You just need to say entertainment because you all don't know art. You're not artistic. Not if I can see the same script in five different shows with, the, with this one barring this actor over here and that over there, and it's the same thing and the same outcome, the same blood and guts. No yeah. artistry. Nope. Nothing uplifting. Can't nope. come up with an uplifting artistic piece if their life depended on it. Because you've watched them. Now, they're not bad writers, but they're not art. They're entertainment. Okay. And we need to know the distance. Huh? She said, I got three minutes. Well, I'm going to go and do my three minutes. <laughs> yes, I am. But I want to say this to you that you have to think. I don't care how much you feel, you have to think. And you have to think through your feelings and then feel through your thoughts. And that's a gift. Mm -hmm. That is a masterful gift. Because in, our, in the human spectrum, everything is either or. Either spirituality or intelligence. Either emotion or thought. It's an either-or spectrum, but the masterfulness of maturity, the measure and stature of the man Christ Jesus, and you read it, I'm studying the Bible, he thought through his feelings, and he felt through his thoughts. And it's an amazing thing. So why are you reasoning in your heart? Or, I heard what you said in your heart, well, why is your mind thinking these things. He did that all the time. So if we're going to be, um, we're, if we're going to come into that measure and stature, we have to stop being locked in on spirit mm -hmm. and start getting into that soul realm where the real judgment is. God's real judgment is on the soul. Can I get that? Wait a minute. I got to get some. Did we get any comments or statements or questions? There was one that 
wanted you to explain familiarity breed content. Well, Excellent. The more you know, the more you presume, the more you presume, the more you resist or reject. When you, for example, when you're brought into your mentor's private um, sphere and you start seeing them, we don't have the lipstick, we don't have the makeup, we don't have that, all of a sudden you begin to despise their humanity. Mm-hmm. And because you despise their humanity, you literally cut yourself off of why you connected with them? That was a great question. Ooh, wasn't any question. Okay. Anybody else? Norma, did you have anything? Good morning. Okay. So, but that's a great question, and and that's where most mentorships die. The minute you start picking at your mentor's humanity, mm-hmm. is the moment the mentorships die. Ooh, that's good. Hey, did you want to sow a seed to me? Did you find that this was a useful thing? I gave you a very free class that many of you can use to teach over and over again. And I know some of y'all are, are, are charging registration and tuition. And you know what? Hey, that's on you and the Holy Ghost. I have no judgment on it one way or the other. But a laborer is worthy of their hire. So if you think you're worthy of your hire, then conclude that I might be and that I am. So, prophet indeed. Yes. All right, guys. So text to give is 918-608-1378, 908-608-1378. And then you can also give via PayPal. It's paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. And with Cash App, her handle there is Dr. Paula Price. And as you know, if you're a Cash App user, you're going to put the dollar sign. So Cash App, Dr. Paula Price is her handle there, paypal.me slash Dr. Paula Price. Or text to give 918-608-1378. Any closing words, Apostle? I don't. Amen. We'll tell them what happened Sunday. Sunday morning, we have Church of the Congregation of the Mighty. We stream online. We go live around 11 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. And we also have Sunday school at 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. Let me say this. As we close out, go to my website, drpaulaaprice.com, if you're interested in more information on my private mentorship. Hallelujah. See you Sunday. And enjoy the rest of your weekend, and then we'll talk about Christmas next week. Amen. I love you guys. I really do. God bless you.